Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. just want to say thank you to you guys for uh, that last song, especially just such a great reminder, uh, especially the topic that we're going to be dealing with, that we are, if we've placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of God, and that we are never far from the Father's heart. Um, this morning, just before we get going into the message, just want to take a minute and to get you thinking about the fall and about small groups in particular. Uh, we really place a high value on small groups here at FBC, and our goal with small groups is to provide an opportunity for every attender of FBC to be welcomed into a group where they can form meaningful relationships with others. Small group members will be encouraged and encourage others in their relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't want to just have a a service here for you on Sunday. We want to make sure that you have ways to connect during the week with people of faith, people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who want to uh, encourage you in your walk with him and also who you can encourage uh, in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so October, the first week of October, is our big small group kickoff, which gives you lots of time to communicate with us that you'd like to be in a small group. We're going to try to get everybody who wants to be in a small group into a small group. And part of that means that we are going to need um, a few extra people to lead small groups, and it's not as intimidating as it sounds. Uh, We are going to have some training material for you. We've got some really handy uh, just just pieces of information to pass along to you that will help you you as you lead a group. And if we really take that word lead away and say facilitate, I think it makes everybody feel a little bit better. So if, if you would like to be a small group facilitator to help lead some discussion, that would be great. And then if you maybe say, look, I'm not really good at the facilitating part, but I have a home that I'd love to have people in. I would love to have a small group in my house. I would just like somebody else to facilitate it. Just let me know that, and we'll see if we can partner you with, uh, up with somebody uh, who maybe doesn't mind the facilitating facilitating, but not so much keen on hosting. So if you would just let us know that, again, you can just let me know. Uh, The most efficient means of communication is like text or email. Um, I have a really good intention of remembering what I'm told, but uh, definitely getting it in email form or text or something along those lines helps me remember to put it in the right place. So if you are interested in small groups, we're very excited to get them up and running and uh, would love to have have you part of it. Um, Let's just take a moment again to pray uh, before we get into the message this morning. Dear God, we're just so thankful thankful for your love for us. So thankful that you um, welcome us into your family when we place our faith and trust in your son. Thank you for the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, I just want to pray that today as we look into this prayer of biblical proportion, Lord, that we would would sense that, that fatherly love dear God, that we would also sense that fatherly authority in our lives, dear God, and that we would just respond accordingly. So I just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever in life had something not turn out the way that you intended it? 
Simply, it could have been a recipe that you tried and failed. I love, you know, going online and seeing some of those pictures, you know, of the, of the Pinterest fails, like here's what it looks like on Pinterest, and here's what I accomplished, things along those lines. Maybe it's a play in sports that, you know, you look back over your years and you're like, if I could have changed that one play, I would have really enjoyed that. There's a time in high school basketball, we were coming down the court, I was the point guard, we had this nice fast break going, there's two defenders here and there was this beautiful passing lane, I mean just a beautiful passing lane to get the guy cutting on the left side and I was so excited, this was going to be a fantastic pass, going to make me look good, we're going to score the points. And so I just, I throw this pass, it went exactly where I wanted it, except the teammates stopped running, and it went right into the stance. And it was, everybody's like, oh, what a dumb pass, and I'd like to relive that moment and tell that guy to hurry up and speed up. Um, but anyway, it didn't. So, um, you know, just other things that maybe it was a compliment that you tried to pass on to somebody, and it just kind of bombed, and it was really awkward, and you just kind of like, ah, that just did not work out the way that I was hoping it to. In life, there are going to be things that just don't go the way that we intended. You know, and I was thinking some of the, you know, more humorous, lighthearted ones in life, and I was thinking about one particular when I was, I was probably about 19 or 20 years old, and there was three of us that hung out together all the time, three guys, and I probably was the one that sort of pushed them to do things that maybe they weren't so keen on doing, but we just kind of would do them anyway. And so we had gotten our bikes and we went to explore a new place that we've never ridden before. And I was like, come on guys, it's, it's this climb. Like it's this long climb, but could you imagine how much fun it's going to be coming down, right? And so um, that hasn't changed much in my life, still pushing that one, but uh, you know, we we're just climbing and we climbed and, and it was not enjoyable, really, it wasn't. I mean, it was a rugged climb. We were sweaty, we were tired. And we get like, I mean, like probably 10, 20 feet from, from the top. And I hear this noise behind me, and I was like, what is going on? And I turn around just in time to see my best friend, I mean, we've been buddies since we were three years old, pick up his bike and throw it into the woods. And I'm like, wow, like he's the calm one, you have to understand, in our, in our friendship, he's the one that has leveled me many times in life to say, ooh, you just need to, just need to calm down. He's the calm one, he's not prone to these outbursts of frustration. But on this day, we get almost to the top and his back tire blew, and there was no way to get back to the car except to walk his bike the whole way down the hill, and that frustration just got the best of him that day, and so he tossed the bike into the woods, and, and then we all had to walk down the hill together, and it was kind of kind of one of those things that just didn't go the way that, that he had intended that ride. So maybe in life, things just don't go our way. But maybe for you, and maybe for me, there are times in life where the, the thing that doesn't go our way is, is worse than a failed recipe. It's worse than, than, a, than a failed compliment or a, a sports play gone bad. Maybe the situation in your life uh, has been something along the lines of, of a family member or yourself getting a diagnosis that you just weren't expecting. Maybe in life it's been that a marriage that you thought was going to be firm and solid forever has suddenly broken apart. Maybe it's been a death of a loved one. There are many crises that come into our lives. There are many times that life just doesn't go the way that we expect it to go. And today, as we look at our prayer of biblical proportion, I want us to see how do we respond? What do we do when life doesn't go as we expect? 
How do we respond uh, to the situation and to God properly? And how do we walk through with our, our testimony and our character still intact? So that's what we're going to look at today. If you'd like to look at Job chapter 1, you can pop down there. This is our prayer of biblical proportion. We're going to just take a look to read Job chapter 1, 20 and 22. It says this, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This morning or this week, I went home, and I was talking to the, my family about what I was preaching on, and I, I read the verse, and Parker looks at me with a grin, and he goes, you're not dressing in character for this one, are you, Dad? So nobody, I promise, we won't be doing any of that today. But in all seriousness, as we look at this, as we look at this prayer, we're going to look at the events leading up to it. Following that, we're going to take a further look into Job's prayer in response to what had happened in his life. And then finally, we're going to see some of the ways to apply Job's reaction in our life to the situations that come up. So let's get right into the backstory and see what, what God has for us this morning. If we pop back to the beginning of this chapter and we, we meet Job for the very first time, we see a lot of things about Job that, that he's a very interesting man, very godly man. Job chapter 1, it says this, verse 1, There was a man from the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. As you think about this and you think about this description, this is a guy that, that we would look up to if, if we knew him. He's a guy who, who loved God, and not only loved God with his speech, but also loved God with his actions. He was one who obeyed God. He feared God. He turned away from evil. So not only was it a, hey, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, and I'm going to sing the songs and listen to the sermon, but no, I'm going to take what that sermon says, and I'm going to apply it. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to obey him. He's somebody that we certainly would look up to and respect. Not only did he have a really strong relationship with God, he had also been very, very blessed. In, in verses 2 to 3, we say there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. And it was interesting, just as I read this and the weird things that pop into my mind, you notice that he has 1,000 sheep for every son and 1,000 camels for every daughter. I don't, I don't know why that just struck me as interesting, but uh, there was a lot of sheep and camels. 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. So we see that he has 10 children. He is the greatest, the wealthiest. He was the one that, that everybody looked to. And in those days, especially if you were blessed, if you were wealthy, the, the belief was that, man, God was blessing you. You must be doing things right, and God is just blessing you, and he's just giving you so much because you and him are, are really so tight. And not only did he have all those possessions, not only was he a godly man, he was a great dad. And he carefully devoted himself to praying for his kids. You see that in verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And again, when you look at this guy, and, and even today as we look at him, we would think, you know what? This guy must be one that God would put his hand of protection on. 
I mean, God, he's obeying you. He's living for you. He's, he's taking care of his money well. He has a good reputation in the community. He's, he's praying and he's loving on his kids. Certainly, if God is going to protect anybody, it would be this guy that, that loves him and, 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 and just is serving him. It just, he, he must have earned enough of God's favor to be, to be safe and to be protected. But as we look at the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to come up to, we see that, that, yes, he and God had a very close relationship. But through that close relationship, God was looking to do something that would bring more glory to God and even greater blessing in the end to Job. And so we're going to see, as, as this chapter progresses along, uh, God and Satan have this conversation. It's this weird scene of uh, of. of of you know a peek into the heavenlies as we see satan appearing before god and sort of giving account of his actions you know god's like where have you been and satan's like oh roaming here and there about in the earth and then job says this or god says this have you considered job and he gives this same testimony that job chapter one hey my servant job he's righteous he fears me he obeys me he's he, he's you know he's got a great reputation have you seen this guy and satan's response comes along the lines of this yeah well i've seen him but really, the only reason that he's, he's, he's so tight with you is because of all your blessings. You take away those blessings and then see how he responds. This is this amazing conversation in heaven, and, and God allows Satan to, to follow that course of logic, to see if Job would really curse God in the trials and curse God in the difficulty. And so we see, as, as this chapter goes along, um, we see this. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. The Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job is there and all of a sudden he realizes that much of his wealth has just been wiped out. And then even before this person finished speaking, we see this. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down your servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Could you imagine sitting in your office or sitting at home, having somebody run into you and saying, your entire wealth, your entire source of income has just been stolen or destroyed by fire or just taken away. Your entire employees, all of the employees who worked with you, they have all been killed. They've all been wiped out. They've put to death with the sword or by fire. You know, and basically, he's like, we've got three guys left to tell you this. But it gets worse. It gets worse. And it says, while he was still speaking, again, this is bang, 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 bang. While he was still speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. In a flash, Job's life changed in ways that I can't imagine. All of those blessings, all of those things that, that he had received and worked for, all of the, the family, the children, all of a sudden, in just an instant, passed away, gone, stolen. 
I can't imagine what those few moments must have been like. They were so close together. One messenger just finishing and another one coming in to deal another blow. It's interesting as Job sort of absorbed those blows, you know, he, the, he took the first three and he just kind of just, um, you know, sort of took them, absorbed them. But on that last one, we see, man, that he, he stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. How would you respond? How would you respond to, to this situation? that Job is in? How, how have you responded to the, to the situations that are in your life? These things are so overwhelming. These things are so hard. How do we, how do we emerge from these uh, with, with, our, with our testimony and character intact when it feels like we have been abandoned by God, when we, have feel, when we feel like we are just in something so amazing that we just can't understand, so terrible that we can't understand? You know, I, I haven't had a ton of suffering in my life. But I can relate to this as far as that, that quick response goes to, to about a little probably over a decade, 13 to 15 years ago. I had the privilege of, of growing up and having um, all four of my grandparents live well into, uh, well into my 30s. And in fact, my, my grandmother just passed away a couple years ago. And so, you know, late into, right into my 40s. To have all four grandparents live was awesome. To be able to see my boys get to know them was very, very cool. But as, as age goes and things goes, my, my father's father, um, he got ill, and we knew that things weren't going well. On a Monday, my father called me and said, look, you know, if you're going to get to see Grampy, you should probably come today. It was our day off. It was Monday. So we left Truro, and we made it about 20 minutes outside of Truro, and Dad called me, and he said, actually, Grampy, Grampy's passed away. So we went home and we got the kids and then headed to Moncton and had a couple of days there um, in Moncton and, and um, just had the wake and they've got a big family. and it was, it was an enjoyable time of memory, reminiscing, but still a very sad time, you know, laying Grampy to rest. It was just a few uh, weeks or months before Grammy and Grampy's, uh, Nanny and Grampy's 75th uh, wedding anniversary, you know, and they just had demonstrated true love for each other over those 75 years. Sad, we lay him to rest and we, we drive home and literally backed into the, to the driveway uh, in, in Truro. It's about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes from Moncton. Just backed into the driveway and I could hear the phone ringing in the house and I checked the message and really weird message from my dad. Just very, very blunt, very direct. Bruce, call your mom. I was like, what's going on? So I called mom and mom's crying and she said, Bruce said, I just want to let you know that Grampy McNair uh, just had a heart attack and died. And so it's just like Monday, Grampy Steve's passes away. Thursday, uh, Grampy McNair passes away. Sat our kids down uh, on the bed to tell them about Grampy McNair. And, and I can't remember which one, but they summed it up very well when they said, I just don't have any tears left to cry. You know, it was a very difficult, very hard time in, in our family's life. There are going to be points in time when life doesn't go as we expect. There are going to be difficulties, but again, the question is, how do we respond to them? How do we respond to them? How do we not let them overwhelm us and drive us away from God rather than driving us to him and closer to him? So I think as we look at Job's reaction, I think we're going to see that. How do we respond? You know, how do we, how do we deal with the emotions that we have? And then how do we maintain that testimony and worship that we are supposed to have in, in all situations? 
So as you see that again, we'll look at that prayer one more time. Uh, Job chapter 1, 20 verse to 22, and it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. First thing that we want to see is, is just the raw emotion that, that Job responded to, to this situation. We see that announcement of, of his children's death, especially this is where it hits him, he says that Job arose. Some feel that means that he was, he was seated, maybe having supper or dinner at his place, you know, as his kids had been having a meal at their place or whatever. Some, some say, you know, that he may have seated and when he heard about his kids, he jumped up. Or the fact is just that word arose could just mean that he, he was moved to action. That when he heard about the kids especially, he just, he just said, I have to respond, I have to do something. And we see that his, his first response is simply to express his grief. He, he tore his robe, and in those days, the tearing of the robe was symbolic of, of a broken heart. And he tears his robe, and then, and then he, he, he shaves his head. And again, this is just a, a sign of, of uh, humility and, and, and mourning before God. And I think, you know, as we read that, I can, I can read that very, very quickly. He rose, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshipped. But I think as we, we think about it, literally playing out, it, it took more time than that. As Job gets up, he tears his robe, and then, you know, believe it or not, I used to have hair, you know, and I, I used to shave my head, and it takes a little bit of time. You know, Job, as he shaves his head, this wasn't just a, an instantaneous, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear my robe, shave my head, and pray. There was this period of time where he just let his grief flow from him. He, he took that time as he's shaving his head, I'm sure, to, to weep. His heart is broken. And then he bows down and he worships. But here's the thing that I want you to see, and here's the thing that I want to understand. Uh, crisis and trial, they aren't neat and tidy, dealt with in five minutes and we move along. Because Job tears his robe, shaves his head, then he worships. But as we continue on through the book, we'll see that many times during his trial, Job just calls out to God and says, God, I can't handle this. Let's look at a few of those passages together. Job chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Job 3, 11 through 13. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and be quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. Job says to God, God, you know, if you knew this was coming, which you did, you knew this was coming, why didn't you let me die at birth? I, I can't handle this. It would have been more restful, more peaceful for me if you had to just not let my life begin, if you knew this, this was coming my way. Job chapter 6, verses 2 to 3. Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would have been heavier than the sands of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. And Job was just sitting here, he said, look, God, on the scale of things, if you weigh this suffering compared to all the sand and the sea, my suffering, it just, it seems to outweigh the weight of the sands of the sea. He's not, he's not saying, God, I'm having an easy time here. He's saying, God, I'm having a terrible time here. This is the heaviest burden that I could ever bear. It just seems so heavy. Job chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. 
Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope. You think, here's a godly man. What is this hope that he's hoping God would fulfill? That it would please God to crush me and that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Saying, God, I, I, just, I wish now that I could die. I'm having such a hard time with my emotions of dealing with this. I, I just can't bear it. Would you please just take my life? Job 7, 3 to 4. So I'm allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the, night's, the night is long and I am full of tossing till the dawn. As he's going through this thing, again, it, it wasn't momentary. It was months, it was weeks, days, years maybe, you know, this going on. He's like, I'm tossing and turning. I can't sleep, God. This is, this is overwhelming. Job 10, 1 to 2, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not contend me, uh, condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. God, why are you against me? Why have you done this to me? And then Job 12, 4, I am a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. God, I've, I've proclaimed your name to people. You have blessed me. Now you've taken all of that away, and they're laughing at me. You know, they're, 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 they're mocking you, and they're laughing at me. Job 23, 8 and 9. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Folks, when we go through crisis, when we hit trial, we need to understand that we are going to struggle with the emotions of that. We are going to, to be overwhelmed with, with feelings of, where is God? We're going to be overwhelmed with feelings of, I can't handle this. We're going to be overwhelmed with just the raw emotion of dealing with difficulty. And yet, even as Job expressed each one of these things, the Bible says this, that he maintained his testimony as integrity. He didn't sin with his mouth. He didn't, as he's doing these things, as he's expressing his emotion, he's not sinning against God. He's just saying, God, I can't deal with this. I don't understand this. Why did you allow this to happen in my life? We have to understand this, that, that raw pain that was there. So we have to understand, I guess, if we're going through that today, if you're facing a trial today, and you think, you know, as I'm trying to walk through this in faith, but these emotions are just overwhelming me, we have to understand that that is, that is normal, and that is okay. It's part of who God has made us. But we can't stay there either. We have to understand that Job mourned, he wept, he cried out to God, and yet his response not only was the raw emotion but then he also shows us that we need to genuinely worship in humble submission. So again, in Job 1.21, he says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that response literally blows me away. He had lost much of his wealth, his children, and yet he falls on the ground and in essence he says this, Everything that I had was given to me by you. It is yours to give. It is yours to take away. I don't know if I could have that response. I don't know if I would have that response. God, it's, it's okay, you gave me that. It's okay if you can take it away. 
How did Job get to the spot? How did he get to the point in his life where he could say that? And I think there's a few things that Job had in place before, um, uh, yeah, before this trial came that allowed him to do that. We're going to look at those really quickly. First of all, there was a recognition that everything he had was a gift from God. Everything he had is a gift from God. And again, I'm not sure, again, how this plays out in our minds. Because I think so often we convince ourselves, you know, that the things that we have are things that we've earned, or things that are, are, the, are our right to have. As we work and we, we, we earn money and then we buy possessions, we, we convince ourselves that it's ours. We have earned it. We forget the fact that God has given us the ability to work. We forget the fact that, that his, that ability comes from him. Therefore, the money that we have comes from him. Therefore, the things that we buy are gifts from him. But we convince ourselves that it's ours. And then we think of, of health, of, of family and, and, and loved ones. And I, I really struggle with this one because I love my family dearly. I love my family dearly. And to think, you know, that those two sons and my wife they're not my right to have. It's not my right for them to, to, to outlive me. It's not my right for them to always be in perfect health. Their, their good health and their good standing now is a gift from God. And it's his to give and it's his to take away. And Job, because he had uh, that recognition, he was able to face this difficulty, this humble submission before God. He was able to say, God, those were your gifts you have given them, you have taken them away. And guys, that takes a lot of trust. That takes a lot of trust. And so we see that, that that trust came from the fact that there was a deep personal relationship with God before the crisis hit. There was a deep personal relationship before the crisis hit. And again, this was a two-way street. Job loved God. He responded to God, and God recognized that, and he said, look, this is a guy. That this is a guy you should model your life after. He is, he is one who fears me and he turns away from evil. He is a very godly man. And he had that relationship that was close. And, and again, Job 1.8 says, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So he had this, this solid relationship before, uh, before the crisis began. Does that mean that he was where he needed to be? No, but he was solid with God. I don't think we'll ever be ready for a difficulty. I don't think we'll ever be ready for a trial. Like, okay, God, I'm now ready for my wife to get a negative diagnosis. You know, it's okay now. I don't think we're ever going to be ready for that. But we have to understand that when we have a tight relationship with God, we are going to be handled that difficulty. And then as we go through the trial, Yes, if we respond properly, God will grow our faith in unbelievable ways. Our relationship with him will be far better at the end of the trial than it was going in. So the question is this morning, do you have that relationship with God? Do you have a personal relationship with him? As the song said earlier, are you a son or are you a daughter of God? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, please speak to me after uh, Gord, one of the pastoral staff or worship team, just stop somebody and say, what is that personal relationship all about? I want to make sure that I have that as I go through life. 
I want to make sure that that relationship was there. If you're in that relationship, if you've already placed your faith and trust in Christ, uh, Doug mentioned last week, how do, we, how do we grow? There was three points that he mentioned that we need to um, be aware that we would grow in the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. We just have to understand, guys, that, man, we have been welcomed into a relationship that has so much hope, and that hope isn't just an eternal hope. That hope is that I have God, the God of the universe, walking through life with me. So no matter what comes my way, nothing can outpower him. He will carry me and sustain me through it. We have to understand the riches of his glorious inheritance. Yes, there's an eternal uh, perfection waiting for us in his very presence. No sin, sorrow, sickness. We can look on that and have that as our focus. And then his immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. Oh, church, I, th- I think we, we so often fail to recognize the great resource at our disposal in the Holy Spirit who God gave us when we placed our faith and trust in him. And, and just his omnipotent power, God's omnipotent power to work in crisis and difficulty. And we just learn to learn to, to lean on him and to, to be aware of how much power he has to, to sustain and to do good and, and all of those things that we need to know when we're facing difficulties. And then the third thing, Job's relationship with God allowed him to trust that God was working for his good despite the difficulty that he was enduring. Earlier we looked at this passage, Job chapter 23, 8 and 9. It says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I don't see him. He's like, God, you have abandoned me. I don't see you. I can't sense you. I just, where are you? But then this, he says, even despite that, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job knew that even though this was, he couldn't even sense God, I, God, I have no idea where you are, but I know you're doing something that's refining me, that's bringing me closer to you, that is, that is going to make me a, a firmer believer in you. Back east, there was a, a couple in the church who became very, very special to us. They were on the, the pulpit search committee when we, when we were, were candidating to go to Truro, and, and they just became really, really instant friends. Uh, they had four children, they have four children, and um, the children were in youth and kids ministry when I started. I've had the pleasure of doing three out of four of the kids' weddings, and I'm on retainer, so they say, to do the, the fourth daughter's wedding. Um, so if you're going to be between 25 and 30, guys, there's a really great girl out east that, uh, you know, really great girl. So um, you can pay for my flight out to do your wedding. So um, Scott and Angela had a, had a great, great marriage. Uh, they were loving parents. They were people that you just looked up to um, and you just really just thought the world of them. And their testimony was amazing in the community. Um, a few years ago, Angela got a, a diagnosis. Uh, she had a rare form of, of blood cancer, um, and she battled that for, for a couple of years and, and uh, you know, went through some valleys, and then her and Scott were able to stand before the church at one point and say, hey, the cancer's in remission. She's, she's cancer-free. And man, the church rejoiced, and, and it was just so exciting. But a few months later, that, the cancer returned, and it returned with a vengeance. Scott took time off work, and he spent months with Angela in the hospital, uh, eventually, she was able to, to come home, um, not in great health, um, but she was able to be home. And on Father's Day, um, on, on 2018, she passed from this life into eternity. 
watching Scott and, and the kids struggle through that um, was heart-wrenching, for sure. But later that year, in October, uh, Scott and I were out on a, on a bike ride together. We like to do some long-distance rides, and we had lots of time to chat. So he and I were talking, and I just, I just asked him, you know, how, how he endured, and, and just how were you doing? And he said to me this, he said, I would never want to go through that again, but I also know that because of it, I am closer to God than I have ever been, and I am thankful for that. And that, that is the response in, in the times of crisis, this trust that, man, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something to bring me closer to you. And Scott was able to have that. Job was able to have that same attitude at the end of, of, of the passage, early at the end of the book of Job. Job says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. You know, Job said, hey God, I had heard about you. I had heard how great you were. And, and again, there was this tight relationship with you. But he said, now it's different. Now not only have I gained information, now I, I see you, I perceive, and I understand you better than I have ever understood you before, which couldn't have been done without the trial that, that he endured. How do we sort of translate this into our life? And there are three points just that I'm going to close with. And I, I really have borrowed these with some modification from a message that John Piper preached, uh, which is titled Job reverent in suffering. I would encourage you to just to go to desiringgod.org, check that one out. Again, it's called Job, reverent in suffering. We need to affirm with all our hearts the absolute sovereignty and love of God. God is sovereign and he doesn't need to consult us with the things that he does. King Nebuchadnezzar, when he just came through a very difficult time, it said this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to, to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is sovereign. I think C.S. Lewis helps us to grasp, grasp that when he, he was writing in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The scene where the Pevensey children are being told about Aslan, the creator and the ruler of Narnia. And the scene goes like this. It says, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. As we recognize God's sovereignty and we recognize the way that he works in this world, is he safe? Can we put him into this box and say, this is how he's going to operate. This is how my life's going to go and, and everything will be fine. No, he, he's not safe, but he is good and he loves us immensely and he wants for us to know him as intimately as possible and he may use blessing or suffering to draw us to his side. Point number two, how do we deal with it, is let your tears flow freely when calamity comes. I think that's a very important thing, that we just need to let grief express itself. We need to let that emotion out and to say, God, I, I just can't handle this. John Piper says this, the magnificence of Job's worship is because it was in grief, not because it replaced grief. 
Job didn't wait till the grief was gone to worship. In the middle of the grief, in the middle of the difficulty, he fell before God and worshiped him. Finally, trust in the goodness of God and let him be your treasure and your joy. He is the one that will satisfy. He is the one who will sustain you. If you're in a trial, look to him. He loves you. He wants nothing more than to comfort you, to walk through it with you. So again, this morning, if you were here today um, and you've realized, you've understood a little bit of the depth of the love that God has for you and you know that you don't have that relationship, please come talk to, to, to anyone, maybe the person that brought you, to myself, to Gord. We would love to point you in, in that, in, in to, to the relationship with God. And if you're here today and, and you know Christ as, as your personal Lord and Savior, but you're walking through a valley and, and it's overwhelmed you and you think, am I, am I okay in this? You know, Yes, it's okay to grieve. Yes, it's okay to hurt. And yes, God loves you and he wants to walk through this with you and he's going to sustain and comfort you along the way. But he's also brought people into our lives to, to help share that load. We have a, a group that meets here uh, starting again in September called Life Support. So if you've had some tragedy or a crisis in your life and, and you need to, to talk with other people who have gone through similar uh, I would encourage you to take part in, in a group of life support and, and just people that have gone through or are going through difficulty, walking through together, supporting each other, praying for each other. Let's, let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your, your love and your goodness, Lord. A heavy message this morning. Uh, Father, um, but God, in it, we just thank you that you are, are demonstrating your love and your goodness and your care for those that are, that are enduring difficulty uh, beyond what I could think or imagine. So Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, that they would give their heart and their life to you. Lord, if there's somebody here that knows you that's going through trial, that you, they would just, they would endure and they would know that you are refining them even though it is so painful and difficult. I just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. I look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless.